Hello, I'm Rosemary Gallagher, and welcome to our Sustainable Scotland podcast, brought to you by The Scotsman, Scotland's national newspaper since 1817, now bringing you fresh and relevant content for the 21st century. Sustainable Scotland looks at how Scotland is doing its efforts to be cleaner and greener for the next generation. This episode of Sustainable Scotland is brought to you in partnership with Herrick Watt University's Lyle Centre for Earth and Marine Sciences, a global research institute. I'm speaking to Dr Ingrid Kelling, Assistant Professor of Sustainable and Ethical Seafood at the Lyle Centre and Director of the Fair Food Hub. Over to Ingrid who will tell you how she got involved in sustainable seafood and what her work is now focusing on, including the concept of a beyond growth, well-being economy. So my name is Ingrid Kelling and I'm Assistant Professor of Sustainable and Ethical Seafood Supply at Terry Watt University based in Edinburgh. And how did I get involved in sustainable seafood? Well, when I graduated from St Andrews University, I was lucky enough to win a place on an internship programme that placed me with an MEP that's a member of the European Parliament in the European Parliament in Brussels. My MEP was Struan Stevenson, who was president of the Fisheries Committee. And when I first heard that, I groaned as I wondered what could be more boring than fish. But it turns out that I love it and I've had a 20 year career in it since. And for me, it brings together all of my interests, uh, sustainability, development, trade, economics and good food usually. So 20 years ago, uh, we were mostly focused on the environment when we talked about sustainable seafood, things like quotas and fish stocks, for example. And we didn't talk so much about people, the people on board uh, fishing vessels or those in factories processing or even those in coastal communities and fishing villages. And over time, my work has moved more and more in this way. And that is why my job title now includes the ethical part of sustainable seafood. It's about the people and the planet. And I now run a research centre at Harriet Watt called the Fair Food Hub. It's based at the Lyle Centre and it's trying to help make our food that little bit fairer from the perspective of gender equality, well-being in the fishing industry and structural inequalities that are built into the economic system. Could you maybe tell me what the Beyond Growth Economy is? It's based on well-being and also where this concept of the, the blue donuts, which sounds intriguing, comes in. Absolutely. So just two weeks ago, actually, the European Parliament hosted a three day conference called Beyond Growth Pathways Towards Sustainable Prosperity in the EU. It was attended by over 2000 people in person and over 4000 people online. But it is a funny title, like you say, what does beyond growth mean? And economic growth has brought widespread prosperity. It's contributed to rising living standards, reducing poverty. And it's been a central objective of economic policy over the past 70 years. It's obvious even just by looking around that the growth of GDP, that's gross domestic product, does not necessarily mean rising wealth for all people. And it certainly doesn't mean rising happiness for all people. So we started to talk in economic contexts about green growth and inclusive growth, where growth is still seen as a central policy objective. But some adjustments are made to make it more sustainable and inclusive, things like environmental taxes or policies around recycling. But it's also possible to move away from a focus on growth, not necessarily abandoning growth as a policy objective, nor relying on it. Instead, the economy should be designed in a way that achieves environmental and social goals, regardless of whether this will be accompanied by economic growth or not. And that is what we call beyond growth or sustainable prosperity, basically prosperity without growth. So what is growing in this context? So in an economy, a well-being economy, things like human well-being or environmental protection are growing, you know, growing deeper rather than always wanting more and more. And for this to happen, alternative policy frameworks are needed. And one of these is called donut economics. Donut economics was designed by an economist working for Oxfam in the UK around 10 years ago. And um, it's a, a visual conceptualization. It's shaped like a donut with a hole in the middle. 
And the outside ring is the planetary boundary. So there are nine of them and it includes things like climate change, ocean acidification, biodiversity loss, and they are called our limits, our ecological ceiling. And the inside ring are what we call social foundations. These are the social boundaries inspired by the sustainable development goals, and they form the basis of our social and human needs. So it includes things like food security, health, education, peace, justice, political voice, water and energy, those sorts of things. And then between this outer ring and the inner ring is the donut, or what we call the safe and just operating space. It's how we meet the needs of all within the means of the planet. And applying this to the blue economy, so that's the marine or maritime sectors, is called the blue donut, and the blue represents everything to do with marine. Is the blue donut well known now, or is it still a developing concept? It's still a developing concept, the blue donut. So it was first introduced um, at this conference at the European Parliament in Brussels in May. Um, and it's a concept that is being co-created. So it was presented as a kind of first iteration. And the idea now is that with it out in the open and public space, there's an opportunity for scientists and researchers to really contribute to its ongoing evolution and development. That's what we hope to be doing as well um, with Seas at Risk, who um, are an NGO based in Brussels that have started to develop this concept. And it's about trying to find the, uh, eco the planetary boundaries that relate directly to the blue economy and also to the social foundations that relate directly to the blue economy. So um, we expect it to now grow in importance, particularly as we operationalize it and practicalize it, so to speak, um, and make it practical. And uh, uh, But it's, it is it's just a new concept that's being developed. And moving back to sort of the whole concept of beyond growth, could you tell me, is there any countries in the world who have grasped that and who have successfully delivered a beyond growth economy? So Finland, Iceland, Scotland, Wales and New Zealand are all members of the Wellbeing Economy Governments Partnership. And that aim is to transform economies around the world to deliver shared well-being for people and the planet by 2040. In Scotland, what that means is that the Scottish government has moved from an initial goal of achieving inclusive and sustainable economic growth, which, as I just mentioned, it focuses on growth and it doesn't really take into account planetary and boundaries in human health. And they've moved to the current goal of creating a well-being economy that works for all at all levels. So the focus in Scotland is on social justice and addressing high levels of child poverty and inequalities alongside protection of natural resources as future assets to mitigate climate change and to ensure energy efficiency. Uh, I think it would be hard to say that Scotland has achieved all of these goals, but the fact that they have that ambition is certainly a step in the right direction. Okay, thank you. And your expertise is very much in fisheries. So can you tell me how the fisheries industry could be transformed by Beyond Growth or the well-being economy? So for many nations, blue growth or growth in the marine or maritime sectors holds the potential for a shared prosperity. But in practice, an economic system that prioritizes economic growth doesn't work for everyone. And in this context, there are four groups that I would like to mention quickly, although there are many others. But the first is planet Earth. And it's because of highly capitalized, production intense, export oriented commercial fishing and aquaculture that can undermine our planetary boundaries. And the second is small scale and economically vulnerable fishers 4.1 million fishers globally are small scale, but are often excluded from key decision-making processes, despite contributing to the food security of around 4 billion consumers globally. We say sometimes that ocean policies are largely equity blind. That means that they lack fairness and justice. And that's perhaps because they come from neo-colonial structures that limit the power of some nations and groups and concentrate wealth and power in corporations whose primary responsibilities to investors and not to local people. And the third group I want to mention are fishers and fish workers. 
with plenty of evidence in the media and research from global fishing of exploitation, lack of safety, overwork, unfair recruitment and violence. And this is not restricted to industrial fisheries. And I'm not putting down the industry. What I'm trying to say is that these behaviours are facilitated by the structures that have been built within which fisheries takes place, such as the presence of subsidies or differences in labour markets. And the final group is women. Nearly half of the workforce in fisheries is estimated to be female. They play significant but often invisible roles because they may be unrecognised, unpaid or underpaid. So then when we apply uh, the welding economy to fisheries, we want to know about how do we bring about a fishery sector in line with both ecological ceilings and social protections. And I think the first thing that we have to look at is to ensure that there more power flows to people, especially the people who are often excluded from decision-making. I mean that we need a new relationship between currently privileged and disadvantaged countries at the global level so that all are empowered and included in decision-making. But that also needs to happen in the local and national context to those who are currently marginalized and disadvantaged. Second, uh, as a good scientist, I'd say we also need better data and civil society consultation around that data. And thirdly, we also need market involvement. So in fisheries, the market has driven a number of responsibility and sustainability initiatives, but we do need to move from a do no harm kind of policy to do more good. And this requires more than tick boxes and minimum requirements. And it requires us thinking about things differently, such as making your business a great place to work or partnering with local organizations or using byproducts from your production as a resource. For example, in fisheries, organic fish waste can be made into pet food or shells can be ground to make fertilizer or paint and fishing nets can be recycled into plastic beads or repurposed to make bags or decorations. And then finally, us as consumers, we have a choice about what we buy and where we put our money. And that's a powerful signal of what we care about. You talked about people in the fisheries sector there. Can you tell me a bit more about worker welfare in the sector and um, just what the current situation is, how, how bad a situation is for people working in the sector and give us a, a picture of how that's impacting the people and the sector? Yeah, so seafood is central to global protein and food security and also to the livelihoods of millions of people worldwide. Over 15 million people globally work full time on board fishing vessels and fishing is also acknowledged as one of the most hazardous and challenging occupations on the planet, according to the International Labour Organization. People often have to take extraordinary risks to provide food for their families, communities and world markets. Even in developed country fisheries like in Scotland, economic and market pressures squeeze value from suppliers and disempower workers, and they can create a supply of labour that's vulnerable to exploitation. There have been loads of efforts to improve worker rights across supply chains and also to improve equity in ocean governance, but this has mostly been through top-down management such as sourcing commitments and certifications that put the burden again of proving sustainability on producers, while at the same time exploitation and abuse is allowed to continue. Now, as director of the Fairfood Hub at the Lyle Centre at Harriet Watt, I have a number of students that are examining worker well-being through their PhD research and results are likely to be published next year. And I look forward to talking about them then with you. That sounds very interesting. I look forward to hearing about that as well. And tell me a bit more now about um, what has to be done to transform the fisheries sector into one that's really part of the well-being economy. So this is where fisheries links to beyond growth. And, and there are a few practical things that we can get involved in. Uh, for example, at the policy level, we can really decide that equity must drive decisions. So this is really about justice. It's about sharing decision-making power. Uh, ocean governance is highly complex, but powerless stakeholders such as fishers themselves and uh, also some countries are almost always marginalized from decision-making in both public and private governance. We need to find ways to integrate workers and their communities and other marginalized groups into decision-making. 
But we also need to move from voluntary, sort of what we call market-based solutions, to mandatory tools, which is legislation or regulation, in order to protect human rights. Then also there's the what we can what can be done at the supply chain level. So businesses can lead from the front. Organizations, as we know them, will likely have to change if they want to exist in a flourishing future. They might have to become employee, community, social, cooperative, or steward-owned, and incentivize employees to meet social and environmental goals. Most people understand that money doesn't really solve all of their problems and that happiness is not dependent on high wealth. So ultimately, there is a moral case. It's the right thing to do to bring about justice. And there's also a business case then that higher welfare means happier employees and research shows greater outputs as well. And then finally, there's our role as consumers um, about a choice, about where we put our money, about what that signals, about what that what we care about. So choosing products that value people on the planet, putting our money where our mouth is. Sometimes not spending can even have the largest impact. You're listening to Sustainable Scotland podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Heritage Watch University and the Lyle Centre. If you'd like to discuss partnering with the Scotsman for an episode of Sustainable Scotland, please email podcast at scotsman.com. And now back to this episode featuring Dr Ingrid Kelly. It sounds like this transformation to a wellbeing economy for the fishery sector involves lots of different parties and lots of different people. I mean, is that true? Does it involve us as individuals, consumers, retailers, fisheries themselves? Who has been involved in this transformation? That's exactly right. In a well-being economy, we're all involved. It is about uh, well-being for everyone. And and that's the whole point about it. It's not about leaving some parts of society uh, behind. And when we're talking about equity and justice and fairness, we need people who are impacted by these policies to have a central role in that decision making. So, for example, that might mean fishers, fish workers, their families, their communities. But we also have to remember that some fisher families might not actually be in Scotland. And maybe we need to appreciate that we are interconnected globally more than we think and that a fishing family can mean different things in different contexts and therefore well-being is hugely complex but I think the first step is to listen in order to understand human needs rather than a system that just wants more and more and more. So if we're talking specifically about different stakeholders or those who are invested in this uh, new system we could talk primarily about policy you know we need visionary leadership around these social foundations of donut economics that in fisheries and aquaculture will include issues such as pensions for example visas infrastructure housing safety at sea and attracting and retaining talent in rural areas as i said there's also a really important role for industry including retailers So in many places, the industry, the fishing industry is on its knees already. And what we don't want is to increase burdens. And maybe there are different ways to grow. Maybe there's possibilities to grow in quality and value addition, diversification, new product development in the structure of a business, in decarbonisation, in partnership opportunities. And we are working with some of these organisations at the Fair Food Hub, such as Aquascot and Allness, one of Scotland's largest employee-owned businesses. And then finally, there's uh, our role, what we can do as consumers to choose products that value people and the planet. So it's just about taking an extra second to think about what it is we're buying. And how would these changes, how would this transformation to a wellbeing economy for, for fisheries, how would that benefit everyone from customers to the people working in the fishing sector to supermarkets? Would everyone benefit or is there any, any sort of problems or issues to look out for? So you and I are customers, we're customers, how would it benefit us? And it's it's clear that we need seafood. We need seafood for healthy, nutritious, nutritious quality protein for a culture and a way of life, uh, for our coastal communities, for our trade and export, for our connection to the world and to each other. In fact, I was recently in a large tuna canning plant and when I saw the amount of effort that goes into one tin from all of the certifications at sea and in the factory, the workers along the lines, 
removing the bones from the tuna, all of the processing processes, all of that in just one tin. And I thought I will never look at tuna the same way again. And I will never chuck out a half empty tin again, because when you realize how much effort has gone into our food, I think we pay much more attention to it. So it's really just about thinking a little bit more about what we're buying. Do we need it? Is it a product that protects the planet and benefits people? If not, do we really need it? And I think in terms of um, those who sort of uh, can lose out in a transition, I think it's really important there for policy to step into that process and to provide those social foundations. It is a holistic approach. So it's not about benefiting one part of society over another, but in understanding that we're all in it together, uh, sink or swim together, so to speak, it's about um, ensuring that the right uh, processes and policies are there uh, to assist with that transition. One thing that might be an issue at the moment, I would think, is perhaps the cost of living crisis and the fact people are under pressure. They might be worried that they have to pay more if these changes come about. How do you address those concerns? So yeah, it's a really uh, important question and a deep concern to a lot of people, especially at this point in time. And we're really confronted with the most difficult dilemma at the moment. That is um, that perpetual growth in the way we've been growing is unsustainable and is actually responsible for a lot of these issues. But the world beyond growth can also seem equally frightening because we've built a world that is dependent on growth. And that also means that we can build a world that is built on well-being. And Tim Jackson, director of the Centre for Understanding Sustainable Prosperity, said it best at the Beyond Growth Conference in Brussels in May that moving to a well-being economy is really about a new definition of prosperity. We have narrowly defined prosperity until now as wealth, but really the foundation of prosperity is health, our own health, our family's health, our community's health and the planet's health. And so this guides us immediately away from growth. It's not about having more and more, but about achieving balance and about caring for those around us. So if that is the basis of this new well-being economy, about care for those around us, then there will be no one left behind. So, for example, instead of leaving people to fend for themselves or rely on limited redistribution mechanisms, we can use power, wealth, time and income so that the heavy lifting is done by the economy itself. For example, through businesses that are owned by their workers or ensuring their living wages. Rather than just trying to fix problems, we actually try to prevent harm in the first place. Other examples could be using a circular economy and reducing waste. And we also want to make sure that people are part of decision making about their lives through citizens' assemblies, and that will give them empowerment and allow them to address a lot of these issues before they arise. And finally, using well-being metrics, so rather than GDP, to guide decision making and inform budgetary processes will help us really to identify if we're moving in the right direction, which is towards um, environmental and social sustainability. Also, it's a very positive vision for the fishery sector. Can you tell me what are the next steps in trying to arrive at this well-being economy for fisheries? So what is it that we want? And we want to live in a world where our planetary boundaries and our people are cared for, to live in a healthy world and in healthy communities. And I think that's the first step. And of course, now it means figuring out what that means for fisheries on a practical and an operational level. Can you tell me a bit more about your Beyond Growth event in Edinburgh this month and who that's going to attract? And it's been held at the Fair Food Hub. It's be good to hear a bit more about that and how people can get involved. Yeah, so we're going to be hosting a symposium called Beyond Growth, Operationalising Wellbeing in the Fishing Industry. It's going to be held at the Edinburgh Business School at Harriet Watt University on the 13th and 14th of June. And the aim is to co-create a vision for Beyond Growth. So that's bringing together a number of different stakeholders, such as fishing associations, aquaculture representatives, supply chain representatives, scientists and policymakers. And we're going to try and uh, discuss and work out practically what well-being means at different scales in fisheries. So examine the opportunities and challenges from a practical point of view and in turn develop recommendations for different stakeholders 
outlining different change pathways to get there and recommendations. So it's really trying to make this a practical thing. And it's a case of watch this space. Okay. How can people get involved in the Beyond Growth event in the Fair Food Hub? How can they sign up? So you can sign up via the website, which is www.fairfoodhub.org. It's uh, there are free tickets. You're welcome to come along, but uh, it's run by the Fair Food Hub, which actually has uh, three main work streams. It's one is uh, dealing with equality, and particularly in the aquaculture industry, that's primarily gender equality. The second is dealing with worker well-being on in the fishing industry, and uh, I have a number of PhD students that are sponsored by a number of retailers, which just demonstrates their commitment to advancing human rights and worker welfare and well-being in the fishing industry and the final area is to look at these uh, structural inequalities and economic inequalities that result in some of the problems that we've been talking about and um, this is where the beyond growth symposium uh, falls into or falls under and um, yeah we look forward to uh, to, to co-creating this vision together there so it's a very interesting event i'm sure very insightful conversations will take place and it's great to hear it's happening in edinburgh in scotland this month Thank you to Dr Ingrid Kelling of Heritage University's Lyle Centre and the Fair Food Hub for explaining her fascinating work on wellbeing in fisheries, the beyond growth economy and the concept of the blue donut. And thanks to you very much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Scotland, produced by The Scotsman. This episode was delivered in partnership with Heritage Watch University. Please listen out for and enjoy more episodes of Sustainable Scotland and all your main podcast platforms. This episode was presented by me, Rosemary Gallagher, and produced by Andrew Mulligan. <laughs>